Hey there, Bedrock Believers. Welcome to Bubbling Up, an adult conversation on the wide world of comics. I'm just your evil rock quarry boss, Joe Soria, along with the latest purchaser of an elephant vacuum, Steve Ermosi. Yep, and I've still got to get that uh, hedge clipper. All those animals filling your house that take up more space, just put it in the closet. He hasn't even been used yet. On today's episode, we'll be digging into a reboot of The Flintstones, Volume 1 by Mark Russell from 2016 that I think they just released a larger collection of. I don't know if it's for the first time, but just came out, I think, a few weeks ago even, but definitely in 2022. Quick reminder first, if you have any thoughts, notes, diatribes, questions, you can always email us, bubblinguppod at gmail.com, or let us know what you think of the show by reviewing it on one of your favorite podcast platforms or Instagram at bubblinguppod. That's the one we're probably the most active at. So, uh, Steve-O, anything up? Anything you want to discuss before we go deep into the, the world of, of our youth, but revitalize in a different way? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I read this probably in 2017, this volume, but I don't think I finished it, actually. I think I only read the first volume. So I read up to where we stopped here. So I'm uh, looking forward to picking up volume two after that. But yeah, that's kind of my history on on the Flintstones. I loved it. And they, they did a bunch of other weird, DC did a bunch of other like weird crossovers too. I really like the uh, Snagglepuss one as well. So if you get a chance, check that one out too. Yeah, I knew this was kind of happening, I guess, because I remember having, when I went to a comic store, maybe like five years ago, there were the covers where they were crossover like, Yogi Bear and like Deathstroke or something, or, you know, they were like epic issues where they were crossovers. I was like, oh, so maybe they're revitalizing this. And you don't put together Hanna-Barbera and DC. I think it's like yeah. adult and kid. I mean, if you go to the store, you see them next to each other, probably. But if you're, you know, the average listener, you probably don't give it a straight connection. Did you have any experience with this? I've never read anything by Mark Russell before, but I can tell what the kind of tone that he probably has on many of his projects, I believe. One of these things was called God is Disappointed in You. So a satirical graphic novel. No, I hadn't I hadn't run into any Mark Russell before this. And you know, I haven't read any since since I read this either. I really dig his very sarcastic style of my alley in terms of writing. So I guess I yeah. should check in on him again. So yeah, I mean this is like probably 2016, 2017, because I feel like the style of what this does is kind of the norm now where we're like dramatizing something that was more kiddie. And while they always had some kind of angles to it that were, you know, adult, like a Saved by the Bell and there's the Jesse Spano episode. This is all Jesse Spano episodes. There's not too much cute about this Flintstone. So I don't want to spoil too much of the conversation. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll just start digging into the comic. All right, we're back. And like I said, we're going to discuss Flintstones Volume 1. The author is Mark Russell and the illustrator is Steve Pugh, colorist Chris Chuckery and letterer Dave Sharp. But let me have, let Steve-O give you the official synopsis of this reboot. Fred and Barney reunite for Mark Russell's modern take on Hanna-Barbera's most famous Stone Age family. This new series starring the first family of bedrock and civilization, really, tells the story of who we are and why we do what we do as if it all began with Fred, Wilma, Barney, Betty, and the rest of the citizens of Bedrock, shining a light on humanity's ancient customs and institutions in a funny origin story of human civilization. Mark Russell blends modern interpretations with Hanna-Barbera's classic characters, bringing a breath of fresh Stone Age air. Yeah, that says it pretty well. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty solid. It's What I love about this book, or what I enjoy a lot about this book, is that it takes all these things that 
we take for granted and like looks at them as though they've never happened before and just kind of eviscerates them in that regard. So I'm looking forward to talking about some of that more specifically, I guess. But the elements are of the old Flintstones, but the presentation is of the the modern affect of of how how we usually address these characters. You know, it's not poking fun at them. It's dealing with them as real people and almost as a historic artifact. You gave your little basic first impressions, but anything else you want to Sam, there, I know we kind of talked about this and we're not going to really do plot heavy on this one because they're just kind of stories. This is a, you know, there is a continuing, some continuing plot for the most part. They're like episodes. This is an episodic comic that is dealing with thematic issues and in a, a very direct way, but also using this as a conduit of them. And uh, I think quite effectively. So any first thoughts when you look at this series, Steve? When I was like leafing back through the first issue again, that's like kind of the intro issue you like get to meet everybody but also it kind of like briefly touches on a lot of the stuff that they're going to talk about later like they have just a little short conversation about like marriage they have a little short conversation about like war consumerism stuff like that and like it's just like brief little moments of like here's what to get ready for and then they have like full issues about this stuff later on but i think that was like a really good way to introduce you to like kind of what you're in for because it's like Every single one of those is a quick little joke about something that's like dumb if you look at it in a certain way, in the way that he wants you to look at it. Like, what's the deal with how marriage works? What's going on with like why we buy things? I think that's the issue where Wilma has an art exhibit and it's like a really affecting moment towards the end of the issue, right? Because it's talking about art in general, but in specific, it's talking about her art and like, they kind of like throw her art off to the side. Like she has an exhibit in a museum. They throw yeah. her art off to the side. And then she is like, well, this is why I make this. And here's what it means to me. It's like, you know, this really emotional story. And they're like, whatever. Yeah, it's a primitive art. They call it versus outsider art. That outsider art is literally outside, you know. The, yeah. So it's like it is contextually something you'd understand where it's like primitive old versus the new. And you have these young kind of cool people pissing on the house. I don't say the housewife, but that is the context of mm-hmm. the character, the woman of the house that also has a, she loves painting. And by painting, she's just making kind of hand painting. So it's not like she's taking a brush out. You know, it is, it's a nice little duality of they're speaking like normal humans. Everything is like what we would expect now, which we expect from the Flintstones, but they're still kind of old and everything that they're doing and the way they're dressing or I don't know if this is how they would dress. These all look like jumpers. This is the the most ripped Superman-looking Fred Flintstone you'll ever see. Everyone here, there's not too many slobs in this. Maybe in the first issue, actually. So I think this issue, you said it ends with that, but I think it starts with what you said to tone is the prologues. There are these little prologues, and there was a prologue where you see, like, Fred Flintstone basically frozen as, like, in a museum now, and then it flashes back, and it's just a one-page prologue. No, it's not not Fred. It's uh, the guy... Oh, the guy at the end. Yeah, at the yeah end. It's, it's like one of the people that worked at the quarry. Right? At the quarry, yeah. So it's some, yeah. one of them. But yeah, so that, that, that's a style that pops out throughout here is like they do a little t- kind of a DC style, but the title, the one page kind of prologue, and it's not always connected to the issue itself, but has like a recurrence kind of. So it's, mm-hmm. it's adjacent. I like that. And then it goes pretty much right into a workers issue episode where it's like, these are three people that, you know, Get them drunk and fool them into working for me, basically, at the low wage rates. That's your job, Flintstone, and kowtowing and doing evil things and taking them to a fight. 
it's not what you would expect. You open up a Flintstones comic, you think like family values basically right off the bat. Like I know there was always a slate thing and there'd usually be something where they go bowling or whatever, but I don't remember too much, a ton of deep dives into work. Yes, Mr. Slate was an important character, but uh, maybe I'm, maybe my Flintstones, maybe I have to freshen up on the old days. I think what's really awesome about this is it takes all those things that were like, even if not like necessarily implied, like, all right, this is this type of like job, right? And in this type of job, people get exploited. They didn't show that in the Flintstones, the original cartoon. But this is him saying like, oh, if this was real, if this was, you know, if Mr. Slate owned this quarry or whatever, he would be like doing this type of shady shit and like exploiting these workers or whatever. Which is what I love about it, like takes the things from the Flintstones and is like, well, really, this is probably how it would be if it worked like the real world or, you know, like, like how things kind of work in the real world. And I dig that there's like these new, great new origin stories for certain people and things. And you get the feel right away. You get dropped into this design that you see him, Fred Flintstone in his new setup, but he's also wearing that tie, which is, so it's got the same coloration, but he's in his like ripped military form or what, I don't know what you want to call it. There's that fight that's like an aggressive blood. So we're getting blood here. We're getting real questioning of what we're doing. The issues of like, People being almost like snooty or a hipster, <laughs> hipsters versus norm, normal people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you get your issue and it kind of ends back into those two things. So there's a lot of coverage. A lot, a lot happens in each one of these issues, which I appreciated. That seems deeper than it has. You, you mentioned the, the marriage one a couple of times. And they're basically use that as a posit for questioning religion, marriage, gay marriage, picking of gods, you know, so each issue has a couple of good themes and there are definitely a a good thread like you're talking about family values and family issues, but it's going about it almost inversely treating our concepts of being refined and more intelligent people. But why are we more intelligent now? Because what we're doing is actually seems crazy to them. So it's the opposite. And it it uses that counterpoint so excellently. I also kind of like the Barney isn't just a straight idiot. He's not better. Like he's not like a genius, but they give him a little bit less. There's no like oafs here. I also appreciate that they aged up the children, that they're not just like babies, you know, that it wasn't just like bam, bam, like taking them to preschool, like by getting them into, I don't know, at this high school or at least middle school, they're like probably about 13. I mean, they have like election, there's an election issue. And then the last one that is from right, I think the second issue for sure is these newscaster elements, which are just these like evil, these are the black and white. You have this great color, you know, sharp colors everywhere else. And then, then the, the TV, which is, you know, a whole, a whole other joke is black and white. And you have this like the most quote, quote, this is the news where we tell you about things if we have the footage of them. And the guy's name is Rock Stone. And then today, a man's head was crushed by a giant rock. Here, we have a picture of it. And then it goes right to a picture of it. And you're like, this is whenever they, they give these like platitudes, it's picking on a Fox News, basically platitudes of what they're saying, you know, um, which is I thought was very effective as well. I love the idea of like they're showing you this stuff because they're still trying to figure out like how TV works. When they start, I think in that second issue, it's like 
oh, well, this is the first broadcast ever. Let's try and figure it out. Like trying to figure out how everything works. If that's the really out of the show, yeah. they're figuring out how malls work and all the items they're buying and the consumerism yep. and how God works. They're picking new gods. I have it on a list here because we said we're going to talk more about themes and everything else, but you mentioned the, the marriage one. Is there one of these that was your favorite, I guess? I don't know if it's a favorite, but was the most effective, the most, the one that you would think about the most? You've mentioned the marriage one a couple of times, so maybe you can go into that one. I mean, like, honestly, that one, I liked, but it was kind of the least complicated one. That was like kind of the most like straightforward. All right. Like I get what you're going for here. Like the one where they show the the war, I think that was the fourth one. They go to war and just kind of completely destroy this other tribe that really had no plan. Like I believe it's the tree people who they named their mascots after, which is another joke. Yes. You know, like that's a very modernist high school joke that we have around here. Save the, save the Indian, save the cowboys. It was the tree people for sure. And, and it turns out that that's the origin of Bam Bam. Barney kind of saves him, which I feel like this is the thing that you get out of war that like saves your soul moment for Barney, right? Like, you know, there's a lot more depth to these characters in a lot of these issues. And that voting one, it was definitely that one, right? where that happened because there's like two or three main themes on each of these books in there. It's fine. You don't have to keep them separated, but yeah, it's around the same thing. I mean, yeah, they're, they're basically intertwined, but it posits it like you're saying. So, and as that goes into like, that goes into like the mayoral race or whatever is going on and ties into the high school or whatever, the kids election that's happening where it's just right. a bully who is bullying people into voting for him which if you recall, 2016 might be a little commentary on what was going on around then. Oh, for me, or I'll punch you in the nuts. <laughs> sorry, yeah, but I love that. And I love Pebbles, punk girl aesthetic that she has in this. I think it's like perfect for that character. She has a Nick Caveman t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. So she has like three or four of them throughout that I really love. I don't remember what the other ones were, but I, the Nick Caveman one sticks out of my, in my head. But yeah, so I think that one might be my favorite episode because it's just like working with so many different things and like tying them in together kind of really nicely. That or the first one also, as you were mentioning earlier, came like really full circle on Uh its like initial premise and just like started with the caveman frozen in the museum in modern times and ended with that as well. But like just before that, you see kind of like how all that happened and that like ends up the story of the first one. So that was a, yeah, that was a really great issue too. Yeah. And I think it, like you're, you're saying a little bit, but this continually shows the holes of, I don't say the ruling class or the proletariat or each of the characters that are kind of above and are in charge seemingly are not great. You have these politicians, you have the boss, you have even the the priest or the head of the church of Gerald or whatever they're calling it at that moment, um, <laughs> yeah. they're all don't know what they're doing. We're all making this up, you know, and I think that's kind of the whole point. And my favorite issue goes kind of the other way is the mall, the shopping, the consumerism mm-hmm. issue, because I am a fan of, first of all, puns are like all the ones where you see a map and there's just a list of stores and star bricks. A lot of comics, I'll just flick through it. I'll do a little bit of visuals. That's a like stare at that, like a Where's Waldo episode. And I'd be like, which one is these is the best? So like you see all the animals. I think that's also at the end where they get, they might even get Dino because he returns one of the things that she buys that she doesn't need. And he, he also falls into him worrying about if she really loves him or it's for the money or something. And so I felt that that was very, very much in tone but an elevated version of what a Flintstones would do versus the war is evil. It was a little more playful, I guess, mm. rather than the other ones, which are, are, are pretty serious. That one and the, 
the marriage one centers around them going to a, a marriage camp. Everyone's saying like, ew, married people versus, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, when they're walking around, it's like, oh, who would do that? Uh, what's not the, the, yeah. What's um, the like previous thing to marriage? Just a sex cave, I think. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, just, I, want, I want my old sex cave. Yeah. yeah so. Bring me back to the sex cave. Bring me back to the sex cave, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's a, it's really a great kind of side connection. So that issue with the consumerism and the different vacuums and the uh, garbage disposals, I mean, they're just different animals. The hedge clipper, you remember from the old days, but I don't remember them all, but I, I really connected with that one and, you know, gave me the most childlike feelings versus the other dramatic things that were effective, including what I would say is probably my most effective one was the, we did talk about a little bit before the podcast was kind of the PTSD and how they turned the lodge into it's a military lodge. It's a VFW, basically. The old the old lodge that was always the key cog of everything and the Grand Poobah and everything else. And we're skipping this an alien issue too. So they can introduce the Great Kazoo. They do this, some of these things to introduce the characters and Dino and Great Kazoo and everybody else. But I really liked the lodge. I loved that effectiveness. And we, we talked about it, how they actually gave a purpose of Yabba Dabba Do, where mm-hmm. it's a, like a, a word that you're supposed to say to relieve yourself when you're having struggles. It's like a discussion group for ex-soldiers that suffered through the war. And this is supposed to be like your outlet word, your your mantra word. And uh, yeah, but that would do. And that's why now that he says it so much, you know, in the regular, he doesn't say it. I don't think he says it anywhere here. I think maybe they say it in the circle and that's it. But it's such kind of an iconic thing that I don't know if there ever was a reason, but it, it must have been like an aha moment when Russell came up with that and then came up with a soldier and then made this dramatic retelling. And it's like, click, click, click. To me, that's like the kind of idea you come up with and everything becomes the centerpiece of your re-envisioning of a world. I'll tell you, man, like I, I read, like I said, I read this in, initially in 2017 and that's one part of this book that I never forgot and I probably never will. And if I watch Flintstones again at any point, I am for certain going to see them yelling yabba dabba do all the time in a different way. You know, like yeah. <laughs> that scene hits so perfectly and like that fit into the, what he's trying to do here so well and so perfectly. That's definitely true. Uh, I think we've done most of it. So one thing we haven't covered much, we want to talk about the, the art at all. We talked about the creativity. We're talking a lot about Russell, the art here, you know, Flintstones has a very almost prehistoric design. You know, it's very lumpy. Everyone kind of looks like a, a bowling pin <laughs> almost or like a, like a piece of stone, basically. And, it, you know, is of the style of the era of Hanna-Barbera. But uh, what did you think of the art here and, and everything else? I really like the art. I think it went with the book pretty well. It's not like, you know, I'm going to go and say this is the best art of the year there or anything like that. But I think that it, really works for what they were trying to do. I like the like character redesigns, especially, like I said, Pebbles is really great. Fred and Barney are like interesting redesigns of their own thing and all the animals are pretty awesome. So I like the art. I think it does a really good job of getting across that Flintstones feel while giving it some new life and a new kind of look. And the, I think the colors are are, are good too. Like it really what they're trying to do, I, I think is, evoke the Flintstones with the coloring and stuff like that. Yes. That worked really well. I think it's very DC in general. I mean, that's what it looks like a DC superhero comic, I would say, but they just did it with the Flintstones. So it, the newer generation, it has a, a Superman type vibe, uh, you know, with the colors and the, the sun, you know, if it was dark, it'd be Batman. And if it, if it's light, it's Superman. And even the chins, you know, Fred Flintstone kind of has a, a Superman 
base uh, in, in essence <laughs> yeah. here versus, you know, it's, it's chiseled. It's a bigger one, maybe has a bigger chin, you know, it's a little more Cro-Magnon, whatever, but it still has that vibe to me. The thing I'll point out again, though, is the artistic creativity of the places and the locations I did really appreciate. And I, I think I you know, have to attribute that to him. I liked the design of the priest and kind of that we just did a Green Knight episode recently and it kind of has that Green Knight King look there. The Harry Potter and the old, what is this, old UV? You know, there's all, all kinds of little cute things going on here that kind of soften up the sharpness of the stories. And then the other thing I'll point out is the covers. The covers, which I think he also is the same artist, Steve Pugh, which I feel like he might have done Jimmy Olsen, I want to say. He kicked around a lot of, yeah, he might have been on Jimmy Olsen. Because he's, he's done a bunch of DC. And the Lieber did Jimmy Olsen That's too. Right. But I think he might have done some of it because it definitely has that looks a little bit like Jimmy Olsen type vibe. But the covers are very interestingly Rockwellian, literally. So you have this like rock, bedrock Rockwell <laughs> look, which I thought were... They weren't my favorite covers, but they were perfectly set for what this was. Like, I'm always a sucker for a movie parody or something like that, or, you know, uh, something noirish, but it fit in an interesting way. It tells you that this isn't going to be cartoon Flintstones. This is more of a, a portrait of Americana through prehistoric Americana. So I thought that was very effective as well. Any other last thoughts before we uh, shut it down on Flintstones Volume 1, Steve? I think that I have said most of what I what I wanted to say. Yeah, nothing else that I can think of. I guess the one uh, the one thing that we didn't really mention too much about actually was the last issue. But there's this really interesting take on like group hysteria and apocalypse and stuff like that. If you're reading the book, just think about the Mayan calendar thing from 2012 or whatever. And like, it was like, oh, my God, this is bringing me flashbacks of that old madness people going nuts on the internet and whatnot. But yeah, I think that's, I think I said pretty much what I wanted to say on this one. So I'm just flipping through and looking at all the names of foot liquor instead of foot locker, Panda excess <laughs> and Spears and Roebuck. When the kids decide they want to go somewhere and hide from the alien invasion, they go to the museum because yeah. no one's there. That I also uh, connected to in a, a humorous way. So with what um, was his name? The Carl Sagan. Yeah, I forgot the, prof- <laughs> the professor. Yeah. We could probably do a whole show just on the little segments of the newscaster too, where each one of them is just like their own story. Like I'm looking here one where it's like crime statistics and it's like brain clubbings are down by 3%, you know, (laughs) like that's a perfect visual of like, wow, you know, but also a funny and it's also sad at the same time. So yeah, yeah, we could, we could go deep in there, but overall, I think this is, it sets a good template. I don't know what they would do with this. I don't know how long it ran, but it seems like Russell has a, a writing style that if you're in the mood for a deep, dark satire for, for one of your beloved childhood icons, this is right up your alley. We could have spoiled something if you haven't read this before, but I don't think we spoiled any stories other than just the themes and plots. So I think we'll shut it there and we'll come back and give you an update on what's going to be coming up next on Bubbling Up. And we're back. I know we'll probably be a little bit behind this eight ball as we uh, usually record these pretty much way in advance and we don't get any movie screeners or anything, but I think we're going to have to do a discussion on the Batman. I mean, it's the first real movie to come out, hopefully, that people will get to see besides maybe Spider-Man. We we missed the Spider-Man train. So on next week's episode, I think do a little deep dive into the Batman, Steve-O. Three hours of, of detective goodness, hopefully. 
I'm excited. I actually, I really like Robert Pattinson, so I hope that it's uh, everything that it seems like it's going to be. Initial reviews are sound pretty good, so. I hope so, too. I uh, I just did a Harry Potter run for no apparent reason. No one was forcing me. I have no kids. <laughs> There's no one else here. I watched them all alone. I've never seen the movies before, and I didn't know he just shows up in the middle of it. I'm like, of course he does. He's, he's a vampire. People are like, oh, how do they make him the Batman? Well, he's done this nonstop series, like, his whole life. Like, he is a huge star in theory, especially like attracting of younger people. Like, I mean, he's just as popular as Christian Bale, probably to people, you know, a generation above him. So in anticipation of seeing it last night, I watched Massive Phantasm last night, back to back. And I was like, you know what, this is this pretty good. And then I know people don't like the Dark Knight Rises, but I fucking love Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy should be a superhero. That's not Venom. Fucking Venom. I know we're going to go, well, you know, we didn't do that episode, but Venom we can do an intro of Venom Sucks. That's about it. Anyway, good not to go off track forever. That's it. Thank you very much. And we'll see you soon on Bubbling Up. They do. Yeah, it's the same music as at the beginning. Our buddy Chris Morgan did it. The intro's so nice, we used it twice. What? You want show credits over here? All right. I was your production manager, Steve Ramosi. Still am, I guess. And the other guy was the brains of the whole operation, Joe Soria. We want to thank you for tuning in, and we hope we see you on the next episode. Uh, Goodbye! Great timing.